Welcome to the Hear It From Me podcast, where we get to know the stories of people who have found their own voice, live a life of authenticity, and help others do the same. I'm your host, Dale Likens, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you a conversation with Terry Miles. Terry had a long career in insurance risk management from 1980 to 2021. She served as adjunct instructor at the University of Wisconsin and coached age group swimming in high school cross country. She also competed in a series of Olympic pre-trial swimming events in 1972 preparing for the Munich Games. She authored her memoir, Hiding in Plain Sight, which was released in 2021 and founded MIF Foundation for resource support for local and homeless trans adults. Terry and I had the same voice therapist, Renee, who introduced us, and I talked with Terry recently about her journey of living her authentic self as a trans woman and how that affected her family, her career, and the rest of her life. Today I'm going to be talking with Terry Miles, um, and I'm just so excited to be able to uh, share this conversation with you on Hear It From Me. Um, Terry and I, you know, uh, have been introduced by a um, a mutual friend, uh, Renee, who is uh, my voice therapist, and uh, I think Terry, and you'll get into this a little later probably, but you know, met Renee in in the same capacity, and and. Um, uh, Renee got us together and said, y'all need to talk. And it, we've done that. And I'm just excited to share uh, Terry's story with you today or have her share and um, and uh, just, you know, be enriched by uh, the, all that, that her experience has been. And, and even though some of that is very difficult. So Terry, thank you for being uh, with me. Very glad for the opportunity. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So, you know, Terry, I, I want to just start by asking if you would just, you know, give us kind of an arc of your story, you know, so that we can know some of what, you know, what where you've been and what has brought you to this point in your life. So would you do that? There's a big arc. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a long arc. Um, okay. I, this has been a journey that's like so many have been going on for years. I mm -hmm. know mine didn't really come to a head and I'll explain that. I'm almost going to work backwards in the story. I um, get that. Yes. Yeah. I was forced into retirement after a 41 year uh, insurance career, not mm -hmm. selling it. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I was a professional risk manager and mm -hmm. I enjoyed every moment of it. Honestly, uh, that came to a roaring halt at the mm -hmm. end of July 2021 as a, dare I say, forced retirement. Mm -hmm. um, there were 110 in our department, and uh, I'm sorry, 120 in our department, 110 took the offer. Okay. So there was almost a mass exodus. So mm -hmm. I was one of those and uh, had never come out at work. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't intend to, I didn't really trust things. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's a big deal in my past. I'll explain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, trust is a big deal. So I spent all of my working career in a variety of occupations, but mostly in the insurance industry. And mm -hmm. dare I say hiding, um, I was right. not out. I was didn't really come out until I moved to the area that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a, a realization probably as early as kindergarten that I knew who I was. Um, but early in in the six, early 60s, because I was a I was a baby boomer, probably a little bit later in that generation, but mm -hmm. I also quickly understood that you just didn't ask this kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, when that realization started happening early as a kid, yeah. you just knew that, you know, there was no way to really talk about that. There was no outlet. You, I didn't mm. even have a name for it. I didn't right. say that, oh, I think I'm this because I feel this. Mm -hmm. No one knew. Mm -hmm. um, but you did know enough about it. And as remote as the talk was that you heard about it, it was considered deviant behavior. Mm -hmm. It was considered something that not in my family. Right. Yes. Um, 
I had no source of trust at home. Uh, I had a verbally and sometimes physically abusive father. Uh, he wasn't physically abusive to me unless you consider the old time spanking with a switch mm -hmm. um, abusive. But, right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, but, a, but a common kind of experience for kids back then. You know. That was pretty common. Yeah. Go, go cut me a branch so I can beat your ass with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that really was not something I had the capability of, of venting or asking questions of. I was, my father had a very bad temper. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, didn't hold back on it, on uh, exhibiting those characteristics. Uh, he had, he was a very big bigot. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't discover that until later years. He was a college professor and he would often host uh, classes at his, at our home. Um, not so much the class itself, but as like a graduation class and I have a dinner for them or something. Oh, right. Okay. And you just kind of started feeling how he felt about people and the way he treated them. Mm. Um, so you got to observe that when they came and. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it, there was just something a little bit off there. And you started to ask yourself questions. Is this how I'm supposed to be? Should mm -hmm. I be reacting this way or treating others this way? And I didn't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So you already knew something was kind of off with the way, you know, your father related to other people. And yeah. Yes, ex exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, I refer to this in my first book as the post-World War II Stepford mode. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> um, it was very Ward Cleaver and Father mm -hmm. Knows Bestish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and I also didn't have a lot of interest that was um, given me for my interests. In other words, my parents, I, I was big into swimming and track, which I'll go into a little, mm -hmm. little bit later. Mm -hmm. But there was um, no one really had an interest in what it is I was doing. I was the last of four children. Uh, and later yeah. discovered from my father uh, that I'll explain later uh, that really <laughs> I, I was a mistake. Mm -hmm. So um, there was constant instruction to be silent and only speak if spoken to um, mm -hmm. and always focus on others. So, yeah, so, so Terry, that that silencing, that was pretty early in your life, right? You know, this this culture in your home, of this you know, Precise. Precise. don't speak up mm. yeah you you learned how to deal with things pretty self-sufficiently mm -hmm. and as hard a road as that was early on because i'm a pretty i'm a i'm a social bug i don't want to be nowadays <laughs> okay. I mean, you, you can't keep me down now but right. uh, so but that that was reality so that's mm -hmm. kind of the arc of how this works mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's i was actually a, a teacher in high school for two years right out of college and then i taught a adjunct course at the university of wisconsin mm -hmm. uh, for in my major um for 10 years and that was kind of fun because i was i think i was in my late four, 30s or 40s at the time and to you wanted to make sure you had a connection with people and and people that were youngsters that we, you cannot pull the wool over youngsters eyes don't try <laughs> right so does that give you a little yeah. bit of perspective on the art yeah that? oh right i mean and you talked about your dad in this letter um tell us oh. a little bit more about that you said you were going to and and you know yeah. i uh, in your book hiding in plain sight um you know, when you talk about this moment, um, I mean, there's such a heavy feeling I had, you know, for just, you know, to imagine reading such a thing, you know, a letter that said to you, you were a mistake. So it's funny, you go through certain parts of your life and you, you're being told by your friends that and acquaintances that you're just paranoid. You're just, mm -hmm. you're just, you're, this isn't true. They wouldn't think like that. They're, you're just being skeptical or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, no. <laughs> I learned in 1988, I uh, got back from a trip to Florida. Um, and gosh, I want to say this was 
was it July? I don't, I don't remember the, the timing because certain things you tend to block out after a while. That was oh, I absolutely understand that. Yes. Um, my partner at the time uh, intercepted the letter as we uh, got back from our trip and um, started reading it because the first comments were, this is from your father. And I just said, let me see it. And no, tore it up. And I said, don't do that. I, I would like to read that. Uh, well, I did get the, the Cliff's Note version that um, said, I was a mistake uh, from birth. My father said that I was never wanted. I was. I did discover later through an odd state of affairs, I went to change my birth certificate. And I found on my old birth certificate that my mother had endured three or four miscarriages between my second sister and me. Mm. Um, I was not one of those, apparently. My dad probably would have preferred that. Mm -hmm. but, uh, this letter was very, if if it had been younger years, I would have needed significant therapy, if not trying yeah. to do myself in at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's trying to get your parents' um, a, approval or, or interest in anything you do. And it was completely to deaf ears. I just... Mm -hmm you get to the point where you can only do that for so long and start realizing, well, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the trauma of re rejection was big with that, that letter. Um, there was a constant comparison. I know I made to my brother um, mm -hmm. because I was being told several times from both parents, how, that I would never measure up to him. Mm, wow. And that kind of reinforced the fact that I knew I wasn't a he anyway. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, that helped a little bit in that context, but that was not much in the scheme of things. Right. Uh, so there was some positive thing, but not a whole lot. I mean, that that was... That's you try a, to pull them out where you can. Uh, right. Yes. Oh, I get that. You know, like holding on to those wherever you can get them. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I think one thing I would definitely add to this is I had girlfriends a lot mm -hmm. um, in high school. I say a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, none of them were long. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is something that isn't unique to me, not in this mm -hmm. transition, mm -hmm. that it's not something that um, necessarily everyone will maybe admit, and maybe it's not so profound, but to me it was in that when I was with women as friends and even dates, mm -hmm. it was less about being with them necessarily and more being them. Oh, uh, yeah, like kind of among them. And um, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, that's well put. Um, mm -hmm. It was like a model role. I would study them visually mm -hmm. and just see what is it that I did that was similar or not similar. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily trying to pattern behavior at it. I was trying to find out if I was one of them because of mm -hmm. what I did. Um, right, because of how you were in your mannerisms and actions and feelings, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Um, most of my male friends that I had in my youth as when I came out to them had since washed their hands of me. Um, mm -hmm. The one best friend I had, uh, you just became more introverted and more isolated in your own world and discovered that... Um, you were brought into this world alone, you're probably going to end it alone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like that feeling of mm -hmm. absolutism, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to give in necessarily and be antisocial, but when it all comes down to it, I'm responsible for who I am and my reactions mm -hmm. and yeah. my feelings and my inadequacies. And that, that's hard. That's not something that happens like a slight switch. It, it's over mm -hmm. time. 
yeah to like learn that you're not responsible for everyone else's responses is that you know yeah yes precisely yeah or and mine i need to gauge mine a lot because in this world with constant rejection and seemingly these days when there's a almost like a genocide movement going on mm -hmm. um you have to continually self-check mm -hmm. and make sure that you're not that you're not putting everyone in the same context. I mean, not everybody mm. is um, steadfast against you. Um, and there are some that are on the cusp of being changed. Mm. Uh, I say changed in that maybe they have a sibling that just came out or a child or a, an acquaintance and they have questions and they have legitimate questions and they want to learn. Mm -hmm. They can't do that if you're <laughs> Right, it's all closed off and not... You're precisely yeah. yes not able to just even have some conversation with them but yeah i, I will offer this that i think a, a big part of my trust and distrust my cyclical um relationship with trust mm -hmm. was a lot of it built on getting affirmation from a group of people or people close to me that this was the right move this is i i'm mm -hmm. fully support you i love you yeah 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 to pulling that rug out from under you and realizing that they no longer supported you mm. so it's like the support or friendship has a time limit to it mm -hmm. that's a reality that was very hard for me to to deal with very mm -hmm. hard uh in early 2009 1920 just before COVID hit I was at a second attempt on my life mm. um, and it wasn't a good time that was the second darkest time of my life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you had friends who seemed to support you at first and then that started to change my entire support mechanism All that i thought was there okay not so mm -hmm. so and i i guess in retrospect i think there were plenty in that group that i called friends were were more along for the ride because mm -hmm. once once one undergoes medical changes mm -hmm. the assumption from those in the quote ally or advocate uh space may think that it's over that your transition is done right nothing new for me to learn or to yes it's and you don't need my friendship anymore so i'm gone oh okay mm -hmm. so um i guess i have one point here my parents did not necessarily <laughs> They didn't really allow my pursuit of a college swimming scholarship. Um, mm. They forced me to go to a local school where my father was a professor and my mom was a uh, administrator of records, I believe. I'm not sure, mm. admissions and records. Um, so I lived at home the last, uh, being the last four kids, I lived at home for those, I went through college in three years. Okay. Uh, I've. <laughs> did summer school, I did pre-session, I did efficiency uh, mm -hmm. exams, I did everything it took to get out. Yes, you were really <laughs> focused on it, yeah. I was on a, I was on a <laughs> path there, yeah, because I think largely at that point, I knew really strongly that this was something that you can't put on the shelf, you can't mm -hmm. put this away. Mm -hmm. um, so that's... Things started to go up, though. Walls started to go up. Um, mm -hmm. I think I was constantly skeptical of new relationships, um, that distrust. And I I tend to have, this is part of my DNA, mm -hmm. and I will call it a character flaw. That is, <laughs> I do everything either all in or nothing. Okay, yes. I ha I do not half-ass anything. Mm -hmm. So if I self-check and realize that I'm not giving it my all, I question, 
are you in it for the right reason? Mm. And are you giving everything you have? Because if you're not, maybe you shouldn't be here. Mm. So that's how I approach a lot of things. Mm. Um, I also have a passive aggressive response in a lot of things. I absorb things and hits from people long enough to the point where I say, mm, you've just pushed it over the edge, folks. Yes, no more. <laughs> no more. Uh, sometimes that's good, sometimes not so. Well, this, Terry, as you talk about your experiences, you know, with even your parents, your dad specifically, uh, even later in life with your uh, friends who were with you and then they weren't and you know there's so many um those are so many reasons already that i can imagine you mentioned putting walls up you know that you began to distrust i mean you learned that from early on um you know well actually maybe i'll put it this way and and uncertainty about who to trust and and not trusting that that trust can <laughs> will last, you know, or or that their relationship and and their their uh, support of you, um, you didn't have that from your parents at, at all anyway to begin with. No. And then the few the friends that you had didn't all well you said all of them abandoned you at some point. Um, so you have dealt with a you know just a lot of of trauma. Um, and I just, you know, I, I I recognize that and feel that and just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Thank you. There's there was a lot of um complacency. My parents were um they weren't ones to say I love you very mm -hmm. much. So mm -hmm. I really grew up not hearing it very much. And then I had a marriage of 23 years that I heard it maybe once. Mm. So you really, really If you were looking for positive reinforcements, you weren't going to get it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember coming home from a high school swim meet one, one night to my parents uh, who were sitting on, again, they would not come to see my meets. Mm -hmm. It wasn't important to them. So they would come, I would come home and they would each be sitting in the living room reading the newspaper and their head buried in it and barely even reflected acknowledgement that I was home. And they would say, how did you do? That's, at least I got that much. Yes. And I said, three and one. I used to measure my wins and losses like wrestlers would. So they were like 26 and one meant they got 26 firsts and one second or one third or one fourth. So if it, if, if it was a loss for me, it means I didn't win. Mm-hmm. That's how hard I was on myself because mm -hmm. I wanted that attention so badly, that acknowledgement. And the only remark I got from my father was figures. Mm, okay. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. I mean, neither parent knew or necessarily acknowledged that they knew or said anything that of congratulatory remark to me when I had and when I was 16 years old I uh, was training for Munich and I got as far as a pre-trial meet uh, there was a series of pre-trial events you had to swim in to even qualify for the trials and mm -hmm. I was in three of those and I did really really very well but I I went that summer from a absolutely nobody to mm -hmm. a contender mm-hmm and that was, that's all I wanted. I didn't want the notoriety of this. And I, I wanted to get my parents' attention. That's all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that part, and then when you see, when you get remarks from a partner that refers to you as repulsive, mm -hmm. um, you're not left with a lot of options. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I began actually searching for a church in 2004 or five, I think, uh, because I wanted to worship 
this way, this head to toe. Mm -hmm. um, and I spent the first, this was a church I went to in Chicago as I, when I was working at Territory. I mm -hmm. didn't live there. Okay. So whenever I went, I would not talk very much because I didn't really know how. Right. I didn't have that training. I didn't have that affirmation. I didn't mm -hmm. have that trust in myself at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the first year that I started talking, somebody said, oh, that's what you sound like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, were you were you presenting your yourself fully, you know, as a, a woman then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes, I. That was I think early in a lot of this discovery um, happened in 1998 or nine, I believe, mm -hmm. um, when the internet was very young, um, and I tripped on a website that uh, offered the you could put your photo in and okay. have rendered in such a way that it changed your gender. Okay. You could either look feminine or masculine or mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. in between. Right. Um, so I put one in um, and it came back like a rock had just been thrown at me. Wow. What was that? Tell me. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah this and i mean you have to do a, a double and triple and quadruple take and say is that me and as much as you wanted to be real you also discover wow it really is mm -hmm. so at least it planted the seed it gave mm -hmm. me the realization that i'm not sick right this isn't fake i'm not making mm -hmm. this up mm -hmm. and I discovered a place in Chicago called Transformations by Rory. Rory is the sweetest lady you'll ever meet. She's um, a retired dancer, I believe, as in like, uh, not stripper dancer, but a um, like a Vegas dancer. Right, okay. Showgirl. Yeah. Um, and she's really good, but she's now, she suffered a stroke a few years ago, so she's having difficulty getting around now, but she, mm. she has a shop in Arlington Heights, Illinois, that I would go when I was in the area and she is the one that gave me my stepping out of the closet opportunity. Ah. Quite literally. Yes. Quite a special woman. Very. I call her my godmother. Mm -hmm. She is the sweetest of sweetness and gave me that opportunity. And that evening, the first evening that I went out, she, we went, we, I say, as a number of other girls that were much the same place I was, mm -hmm. went to a dinner that... I was expecting three or four of us with Rory at dinner. There are 400 different ladies there. Wow. This is like a convention. It's like, yes. So there's your reaffirmation that I'm not the only one. Yes. What a great experience, a moment, you know, to oh, realize it was, that. It was a jaw drop, a jaw dropper for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so thankful for her to, to, giving me that opportunity it was just fabulous you had pushed so much down or at least maybe not allowed it to come up that's kind of two different things i think but and you know in 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 your memoir too in hiding in plain sight and i got the idea that you often just felt very invisible yeah. um and um so here i'm just thinking of that when you get this picture back on the internet mm -hmm. And you're like kind of seeing yourself, you know, maybe I won't say maybe, you know, for the first time, because I don't know if that's true, but, but at least in a way that you hadn't allowed yourself maybe to, to really embrace. So, and then here's this, you know, I don't want to go too fast, but, but here, but I'm, I'm excited just to, to hear about this experience with all these other women because I know, Terry, that um, it seemed to me that, you know, community is so important Huge. to you. And here is, you know, there are other people that uh, you connected with. So honestly, that and I'm glad you brought that up, Dale, because I think 
going through my early years, because um, I mm. learned how to swim at nine years old. Okay. And I just took to water mm. really fast. I mean, there's a section in my uh, my second book that I'm working on that I refer to um, the womb and my love mm. affair with water began then. Mm -hmm. Um that you start to build that isolation though so so much when you put in in training i think we were doing we're up to fifteen thousand meters a day in mm -hmm. swim practice and that was essentially let's see two four about six hours a day um you have nothing to listen to although we tried radios at one time it didn't work real well <laughs> um <laughs> you get really centered on self um, and to a, to a fault. Um, mm -hmm. I think that tended to help me build up those walls. It helped also build self-sufficiency. So there's a, a plus and a minus from that. Mm -hmm. it's, there's a part of self-reliance. There's a part of opening up and being socially responsible. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That was hard, um, the early years. But I think later on, I've proven time and time again in my work and in now in my post-retirement work, um, I especially now, I will not shut up. Mm. Yes, you won't be silenced is what you mean. Yeah. I am very unapologetically me. Mm -hmm. I have lost mm -hmm. I have lost most of my family and uh, my brother, my sister ha do not know me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I've lost both parents and I did not tell them for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother mainly, I saw her die. I actually was on her bed as she passed. And um, I still have a photo of that that's hard because it wasn't this way. Mm -hmm. um, I purposely did not tell her because I didn't want her to take that to her grave because mm -hmm. I didn't suspect in the family I knew she grew up in that she could handle that. Maybe she could have, but not without discussion. Right, like telling her and then having no opportunity to process that with her. Yeah. Precisely, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So those walls were becoming pretty solid. Mm -hmm. um, and letting people in was a trust factor that i mm -hmm. again that all in or nothing mm -hmm. kind of dna that i have um there's a constant wrestle that i have with myself to say why didn't you see this coming why didn't you pull back and not offer all your love to this person because you knew that it wasn't right uh and then say after that pain is gone say okay, I'm ready for another one. Mm. <laughs> um, really? <laughs> yeah, I am. Let's do that God. again. Exactly. <laughs> um, there was a period through, and this is part of my coping mechanism, through mm. the early 2000s, um, I didn't see myself ever retiring. I didn't see myself in an employment situation that would ever allow me to do that. Mm. Um, and I didn't really see myself retiring with the current partner I had. I knew that it, it was a marriage that was over six months after it started. Mm. And not, not for the issue of my transition. That didn't come out until near the end. I just knew that it was not gonna last mm -hmm. i knew that she did not love me um so um mm -hmm. but yes staying together for the kids i mean that's a lot of what it was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and having a field job the way i did i was away from home quite a bit mm -hmm. um that was hard those were very hard years um I began to reconcile myself that I would never retire and that I would probably, because I wasn't out to my employer, that I probably would be 
bi-gendered at best. Mm -hmm. That was a term I felt like I made up at that time just mm -hmm. to justify that I had to be male at work and female every all other times. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, that you, you, you know, to clarify, you were male when you were working. Like yes. you did not have any, you know, didn't let anyone in on who you really were. Zero. Yeah, not at all. Mm -hmm. And then you were, you know, you'd be female, you know, present yourself as yourself in other places in your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got pretty good at living out of a suitcase. Yes. Uh, at owning one of my fixations was wigs mm -hmm. it's either going to make or break your look yep well <laughs> hair's so, important hair was important hair's important uh, and you went through the ritual and you you i remember a period of time where i didn't really know what i was doing and i got the pointers from R rory's son soto oh. mm -hmm. He was a marvelous man. Um, he too had a, a female persona, but not so much transgender, more uh, drag. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't understand what that was at the time. Um, so he taught me quite a bit with that, actually. I mean, about it, not to do it. Right. I, um, it's still foreign to me, for me. For you, um, yeah. And a lot of people do confuse the two and connect them all the time, transgender and drag, and they're not the same. No. In fact, it's funny you say that because I've had that asked of me before. Does it bother you to be in an event that's sponsored by both? And I said, sometimes. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm the bothering isn't overt. It's just... It's a feeling that I'm being equated by society at, at large as being the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And the different, you know, uh, drag there are men who are putting on the persona of a woman for entertainment. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, not always, but, you know, and, uh, you know, and often live the rest of their lives as a man, you know, and and then uh, in, you know, for you and in transgender folks, you, you feel, I mean, there that you are the gender that you present yourself as. It's not a matter of putting it on and taking it off, you know, so, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And, and I, don't, I don't want to speak for the community or for you, so, but... No, I think you, you surmise that very well. I um, I took great pains in trying to, I don't know how to say this more than mm -hmm. to be the person I knew I've always been. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't being over the top. I wasn't being outlandish. I wasn't... Mm -hmm. And I know early in one transition, uh, and everyone goes through this, especially male to female, mm -hmm. uh, go to this desire to pass, mm -hmm. to be passable. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody's going to have that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are parts of me that never will have that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've gotten to the point where I do not care. Yes, you don't want to just pass. Is that well, what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm okay. saying if I don't, I don't care. Oh, <laughs> you're you. And this I'm is, me. Yeah, um, okay. I like that better <laughs> than what I said. Thank you. Not that, we, not that I need to, we need my judgment, but I'm just saying I just, thank well, you. Well, I mean, it took me many, after the major medical transition in 2016 mm -hmm. i mean i'm telling myself now you're gonna have to figure things out here and out because you can't go into the same restrooms and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you do you can't use the same things anymore mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so you 
you got to think through those things. Um, mm -hmm. And I would put on for work. I put on week long seminars. I would go to customers places and I would treat them to dinner or, or they, they treat me or whatever. We, we were in environments all the time. We're going to the bathroom was going to have to happen. Mm -hmm. And I recall, because uh, I was a member of a uh, stand standards committees, um, American National Standards Institute, ANSI, has several machine standards of which I was part of and uh, took on different assignments at times. And those meetings generally are three, four, sometimes five times a year, depending upon the agenda. And you're with largely a group of men. There actually was mm -hmm. one trans lady in one of the meetings I attended, mm -hmm. and I either she didn't last long at the membership or just was there intentionally for one or two meetings. That was it. But um, you made it a point to time your trips to the bathroom and mm -hmm. where you were going and how you were going to do this all figured out um, or you were going to, it wasn't going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. So um, those things had to be, plan that dare I say in 2016 before this final surgery was done there's no mm -hmm. turning back once this is done mm -hmm. and I had no intention of turning back so right conversely to what some people say oh there's so many in the community that changed their minds no that's not true mm -hmm. that is not true and mm -hmm. I certainly was not one of them that was mm -hmm. on the on the edge this was mm -hmm. something that I did because I wanted that my own stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. I wanted my own validation. This wasn't about anybody else. This is all about myself. And I was fully prepared to take on what I knew it meant. Mm -hmm. But I, and I wasn't prepared to take on what I knew it meant if I didn't do it. Mm, like that was not an option. You had to go not forward. Yeah. Yes. It's when you, you know, the stories you've told, I can imagine that, you know, you kind of diminished yourself, you know, and, and um, to be able to, you know, uh, be in certain places or to be with certain people. And, and, you know, again, those patterns start early in life. We know that. Um, and, and I'm hearing you saying that you got to a point where it's like, I am not doing that anymore. Yeah. Everybody else will have to deal with it. <laughs> I've got to, you know, I'm not putting my, you know, I'm, I'm going to be completely who I am. And uh, that's awesome. That was really hard to do during the COVID years, because mm -hmm. although the benefit from COVID was that I could work largely at home on an atmosphere just like this with Zoom meetings and podcasts yep. and, like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. and I could dress the part and be on no camera. Um, mm. Although we were, <laughs> everyone was required to have a camera. However, mine was always conveniently broken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or there just, there's a storm in the area or something. Right. Wrong. It's, oh my gosh. You're not seeing it, right? Right. Oh, I just love your these strategies and the you know the, the survival instincts that you created to get yourself through life. I get that too, as a person who experienced childhood trauma that affected the rest of my life, of course, and uh, realized that some of those coping mechanisms and ways that I got myself through childhood and because no other person adults in my life were helping me um and uh you know i uh so i i resonate with a lot of that part of your story there there's a lot in this transformation this and this reconciliation of self i guess mm -hmm. uh, of acknowledging that this is who i am and stop trying to bury it um, I wrote a chapter in the Hiding in Plain Sight book that is called I Should Not Be Here. Mm -hmm. um, and that dealt with 
locker rooms, mm -hmm. restrooms. Mm -hmm. I remember when I moved here in 2013, I um, wanted to get back into fitness a big time. I, I, that's part of part of my deal. I broke my back when I was skiing in 2000, 2000 I think. Mm -hmm. um, and to this day, I still have to maintain some relatively major activity at least every other day or my back mm -hmm. really cleans up. Mm -hmm. So that's a just become kind of a deal. And because you grew up in swimming and when you have to be in the water at 5 a.m., you're a morning person. Mm -hmm. So 4 a.m., my body clock gets me up. So I'm mm -hmm. always moving. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But you just, you get to the, get to the point where um, something has to change. It's, I can't put this on the shelf. I wanted to say something about how, um, you know, there's a, and I can't, site page i forgot to write that down but um uh it, well actually it may be the end <laughs> near the end of hiding in plain sight terry when you said something about staying in your lane will no longer be the right response and i just like that is so awesome uh, what a great attitude of self-care and and it's kind of what you've been talking about is saying you know coming to that point in your life i if i'm interpreting how i responded to it right was, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to stay where you think I should, you know, or where people put me. I am just going to live my life truthfully with authenticity. And um, wherever that is, that's where I'll be, you know. <laughs> so you all will have to adjust. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly right. You should okay. Person. Yes. Yeah. Um. That comes with a lot of different learnings along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, stay in your lane was easily coined in the swimming realm because sure. that's where you were. Uh, maybe track a little bit, but mm -hmm. in swimming, uh, you're very obviously in one's lane. You see that black line on the bottom, and that's what you right. follow. And, and it's kind of important in swimming <laughs> that you stay there. <laughs> yes. Well, you will be disqualified. If right. <laughs> I've, I've done that. Uh -huh. um, but, it, and I think maybe that was partly where I was going before, but uh, I shouldn't be here. The bathrooms are, and the shower rooms were things, I, that was not my lane. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to stay in the one just because of some somebody's decision at my birth that I was biologically appropriate for that. Sorry, right. dude. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, no, not, not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of that, I think, is when you realize that many of these sometimes self-imposed restrictions or mm -hmm. obstacles that you put up because you think you should or because you're being told you should or just because it makes things temporarily better, uh, probably at one point need to come down permanently. Mm -hmm. When retirement hit as hard as that was, the very first words in my, the first chapter of my second book, uh, I think it's it's called, the chapter is called Separation. Mm -hmm. um, the first, first sentence says, this is hard. Mm -hmm. When you've been doing something for so long and have, have dedicated yourself, not just to the, career path but to the company to your work work comrades to yourself maybe and now you're being told you're like yesterday's newspaper um you're old you're expensive you're mm -hmm. done that was september 1st 2020 mm -hmm. in july 30th 2021 i was quote separated that day of separation was my moment of liberation. Mm -hmm. That was my realization that, <laughs> I mean, the realization came up well before that, but this was yeah. more like, um, this is real girl. This yeah. is So no more excuses, mm -hmm. no more delays, mm -hmm. no more obstacles that throw up in front of yourself. Just stop that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And deal with life because this is what God has opened up for you and shoved you through it. Mm -hmm. 
This isn't a gentle <laughs> nudge. This is shoving your butt through and mm. making sure you're ready to take on this next chapter. And now, by the way, this chapter isn't just for me. This was the realization that um, I can't stand my lane. Mm. I have to get out. I have to tell others they have to get out. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to get out. Yes. Great and message. It's, it, it's, it's you. <laughs> Celebrate you. I don't know how many times I write email responses to people about celebrating you. I'm going to get emotional here. Mm. This is all about a community that was marginalized since mm. day one. Mm -hmm. Enough. Mm. Enough. Mm -hmm. Haven't we learned enough about genocide in other marginalized communities that this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Celebrate yourselves. Celebrate each other. That's what pride is. Mm -hmm. That's what it's for. And in these moments in history right now, it's so important that we're going back to that community as well. That's a big part of, you know, um, your life and mine as well. That it's, yeah. you know, helping each other be able to get through those times and uh, to be who we are. I know I didn't do that on my own. Um, how are you? And you know, you've hinted at it some, uh, at least I think I picked up on that. But Terry, how do you use your voice now? You're talking about writing emails, so I'm assuming people are contacting you, but how do you use your voice to advocate for others, to impact others who are on a similar journey or to help people uh, find who they are and be able to stand in that truth? Oh gosh! Um, what? I, I, <laughs> what has retirement opened up for you? <laughs> oh, it has. Um, I mean, when, when one realizes that, uh, because the six months prior to my retirement, I had I had hired two attorneys. Mm -hmm. I was hiring one locally to help me establish the foundation that I have now got five hundred one c three approval on. Great on foundation. So we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but that's that was number one. Number two, the same attorney was helping me name change. Mm -hmm. And that because that was actually I officially had a new legal name three months before separation at work. So and I didn't tell work. Right. So <laughs> okay. that was awkward. Mm -hmm. um, but all of that said, um, I think it just really you realize that this is new. This is a new chapter I've got to capitalize on. Well, my outreach has included now just not the the, the uh, foundation, but I was doing volunteering at Lighthouse at Safe and Supported. Mm -hmm. I was a, a uh, trained and um, licensed at that point through Safe and Supported uh, liaison for the trans host home parents that would take mm -hmm. in the trans kids or people when they had questions. It, it was a 24 seven deal. Mm -hmm. So they had a question at midnight, they'd call me and say, what is up? What do, what do I do? <laughs> um, so not that I necessarily had all the answers, I would at least give them an ear. Right. Yeah. Uh, Anna Louise in uh, hospice of the bluegrass. I was a trained provider for uh, 11th hour LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Third way mission I'm actually involved in right now for feeding the homeless, but it's also mm -hmm. part of a mission to kind of listen to people. And it's mm -hmm. not just LGBTQ, it's everybody. Okay. Um, but more exclusively to LGBTQ, I've gone to events for Madeira PTA having questions about mm -hmm. uh, trans. Um, <laughs> I met a delightful lady there, Amy Hovick. She's at the University of Wisconsin, or, excuse me, University of Cincinnati. That's mm -hmm. my old university. <laughs> Cincinnati um, at the healthcare mm -hmm. unit. And she <clears throat> actually asked me to be part of a trans conference they did. Which is how I met Dr. Gut, apparently not Dr. No, Renee, Renee Gustin. Yes. Renee is a delightful lady. She is absolutely beautiful person who was our combined meeting that you mentioned, Dale, that uh, she actually brought us together. Mm -hmm. uh, she's the one that helped me with voice therapy. And I'm so grateful for her work with me. Just 
I wanted to, she's the kind that you want to perform for because she's just that engaged in her people and yes. she wants to see you succeed so well. That's oh. just, yeah, it she really is. Cool. it's like she's in your corner and rooting for you. So you want to do it, you know, and <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I actually had an endocrinologist uh, who is now with Children's. She was mm -hmm. with UC, who was my cheerleader for surgery. Mm -hmm. When I announced that I was going to do that, she says, it's about time. <laughs> so there's a lot of other instances, NKU, Youth Summit, um, TDOR, mm -hmm. TDOV events, um, various church groups that have asked me to speak to their men's groups in some cases. That was yeah. mm. different. Yeah. Uh, it worked out okay <laughs> you go into a, a room full of men yes. uh, 13 men in front of you and another half dozen or so on monitors across the state okay and they want to know who is this person and what is a trans person mm -hmm. <laughs> oh you don't want to do this right <laughs> but Oh, that sounds really uncomfortable and difficult at times, you know, I can imagine. And yet they asked. I mean, it's like that's I'm really uh, pleased that they wanted to understand or at that least is, or at least put this someone did, you know, whoever was creating the program for the day. But I agree with you. I, that's yeah. and I try to approach that at PFLAG because I was a board member of PFLAG Cincinnati and mm -hmm. Treehouse for a couple of years each. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I'm still in PFLAG, but not on the board. And when we have our forums and those questions come up, my first response to, to people that are there yeah. in person, they are present. They have decided at some point they need to know more, that they love this person that they're concerned about mm -hmm. enough to go take the next step and learn more, that this is real. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, the risk of them not just being isolated, but perhaps even self-harm is mm -hmm. extremely real. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell people, give yourself a pat on the back for showing up. Yes, right. Yeah. And give yourself a really big pat on the back if you come back next month. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Very good. I am so glad that you are who you are and are um, connecting with people who need to hear your story and be encouraged in their own journey by you, Terry. I'm going to ask you to tell us the foundation name again, your, founda your foundation. I don't have a business card handy here. No, it's okay. Um, miles in Front Foundation. I've okay. tried, tried miles away because that's my my uh email mm -hmm. yes. uh, somebody already had okay Wild foundation um its purpose is to serve the lgbtq community with a focus on adults mm -hmm. uh, there are so many agencies that openly restrict services beyond 25 mm -hmm. and we've ignored an entire population. It's very real. I don't have a lot of data to tell yeah. you that because it just doesn't exist. But this includes people that have been, that have come out to their family and now they're living in the basement. Mm -hmm. we, we were just hoping at some point we would be able to uh, create a physically safe place, a safe center mm -hmm. for the trans community in town. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, my will has been written in such a way that 75% of my estate upon my death will go directly to the foundation. And mm -hmm. it's Lisa Johnson, my executor, who will decide how that does, how that happens. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And your book, Hiding in Plain Sight, tell folks how they can find it and buy it. Um, actually, it's on Book Baby, Book Baby Store. Mm -hmm. uh, just go there to find, uh, okay. do a search on Teresa Miles with an H. Yep, and you'll be able to find the only thing that I have out there right now, um, and you can get a full description of the book, the yep. purpose, me. You can even download the pref preface for free. Awesome, that's hiding in plain sight, Teresa with an H, <laughs> Miles. So, anything else you want to say to 
people who are uh, listening today? I'm working on the second book and I don't know exactly how to do that right now. That it's the opposite of hiding in plain sight called full disclosure. Oh, awesome. And it's essentially from retirement on and some of the new things that one does when they find that liberation, when they mm -hmm. reconcile that they are unapologetically them. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to read that. And Teresa, thank you again so much for talking with me today and letting me share your, share this conversation. So, Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hear It From Me podcast. Tune in for the rest of season one and check out my other content on Substack where I write the unlearning blog. And get in touch with me as well as find the link to buy my memoir, Hush Child, Finding My Voice and Breaking the Silence, through my website, dalelikens.com.